This is the Breaking Labels Podcast, and I'm Rosanna Gill. Each episode, we'll discuss labels that have confined the stories of my guests at one point or another and their journeys to thrive beyond them. Some labels are external, and others we put on ourselves as limiting beliefs. But regardless of where the label comes from, we're here to break it because we were meant for so much more. Hi, everyone. I am so excited for you to hear this conversation with Liesl Hayes. Uh, It is such an interesting story of how she got to a point in her career and her life where she checked all the boxes. She'd gotten married at the right time, had the two beautiful kids, had the career where she was on the right track to become an executive, and everything came to a, a screeching halt. And she completely shifted, pivoted, if you will, and left the corporate world and opened an in. And it's a pretty interesting conversation. Um, and we ended up talking about so much more than just her career. And it is, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it with her. Because it was one of those where I just walked away on a high feeling like, wow, I loved this conversation. And I can't wait for other people to hear it and to share it with the world. So, Now, before we get into this conversation, a couple announcements or a couple requests. The first request is that if you are listening to this episode or you have listened to other episodes and enjoy the podcast, I would be forever grateful if you would leave a written review. Not that I don't appreciate the three or four or five stars. I do absolutely appreciate that. But for whatever reason, iTunes tends to push one uh, podcast that are getting written reviews towards the top and don't need to be at the top, but it would be nice for other people to be aware of the podcast and that helps make that happen. So again, would be very, very appreciative if you would write a written review if you enjoy the podcast. And if you're enjoying this episode, take a screenshot at the minute mark where you have an aha moment or a yes girl me too moment. Um, And if you're a guy, you can still say yes girl me too. That's fine. It's fine. Uh, But take a screenshot and post it and tag myself and Liesl in it. Um, We would love to see. And and I will share it on uh, mine and also the podcast Instagram just to thank you for showing support. Uh, It means so much to me. Um, And speaking of support, I need your help. This is a call to all my ladies. Don't know if you know, but March is international, well actually March 8th is International Women's Day, and the entire month of March is Women's History Month. So in honor of that, every single day during the month of March, I am releasing a mini episode of the podcast, unless it's a day like today where you're you're getting a full-length episode. But the other six days of the week, you're going to get a mini episode, and it will either be for myself or one of my lovely listeners who decides to contribute a message. The message is either wisdom or encouraging words that you want to give to other women. All right, this is obviously a very female-driven ask um, and series. And it can be, like I said, some wisdom, some advice. It could be a specific story that you want to share that you learned something from or that changed your life. Or, as the name denotes, was a a soul-shaking moment in your life. Share it. 
And if there is any concern on your part about people, you know, knowing it's your story or not wanting people to know it's you, you don't have to send a voice memo in. That's one way you can you can submit your message. You could send a voice memo or you can email me the story that you'd like me to tell. And just say in that email, Rosanna, I would like to be anonymous. Just share this because I know other women can benefit from it. And that is fabulous. So email your voice memo or just your word email to Rosanna at BreakingLabelsPodcast.com. I cannot wait to hear your stories. Okay, with that, let's jump into the conversation. Okay, so you know what, actually? Well, no, I'm glad I'm going to ask while we're recording. How do you pronounce your name? You pronounce it Liesl. Liesl. I thought that's how you said it, but I just realized before I introduce you, I should probably say it or ask. It's it's funny because it is, I'm so used to my name being mispronounced that I literally answer to anything that's close to it. (laughs) Same. Yes. I actually just recently um, on an episode was talking about that. Like, I prefer it Rosanna, but. Oh, you do? Okay. I do, but everybody says Rosanna. And (laughs) even I have family members who still say Rosanna. So at some point it was just kind of like, I guess that's it. But then I've actually had a friend not too long ago who was explaining like different ways I could, you know, correct people and it not feel abrasive or not feel awkward for both of us. Because a lot of times I just stopped because it felt awkward. And I didn't want them to feel bad because I know that's how 90% of people say it. But <laughs> I want you to introduce, you know, your story to the audience and and how you, well, one, I can't wait to hear the story of how you came to own an inn. But let's back up before that. Because <laughs> you were in the corporate world for a long time and, and doing the corporate lifestyle, which is what, 50, 60 hours a week. And then were you a mother at the same time? I was. So I worked 50 to 60 hours a week and we had two small children who were in daycare at the time. Oh my gosh. It was, you know, I think it was a catalyst for me changing my life, but ultimately I'm also, you know, Rosanna, I'm one of those people where I like to give, I like to give to other people. I like to be, I like to show up at work and just knock it out of the park. Right. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I followed all the traditional molds in my life. Um, I got married by the time I was 26. My husband and I had two children by the time I was 28. Like I just, I was crushing the life goals. You checked all your boxes. I checked all the boxes. (laughs) I did. And then I had a corporate career and I was on track to be an executive and I remember feeling just woefully unhappy. I mean, and I wanted, I wanted my life to feel meaningful and I just didn't understand why it didn't. Mm. Because so I there followed wasn't this, all the like, rules. You, you'd, I know. Mm-hmm. And that's, isn't that such, I don't know if maybe that's something men deal with, but I know I, I hear that a lot with women. Like, I did all the things I was supposed to. Why doesn't this feel better? You know, I'm I'm all the parts of success I thought I was supposed to have. And I get, because I grew up, we talked about this before we actually started recording, but you grew up in Texas. 
I grew up in South Carolina. Yeah, that that is absolutely. You're supposed to have two and a half kids by this point in your life and a great career. If you have a career, whichever, but you are there are certain things that you're supposed to do. And that means that you are living your happily ever after. Yes. And it's it's these predefined norms that have been created. And ultimately, I remember thinking after accomplishing all those things, there were so many times where I would ask myself, isn't it supposed to be so much more than this? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was, how did it culminate? What was the, the breaking point of when you were like, this ain't it? So this is, and I am brutally honest. I've told you this Ooh. because I believe that it invites other people to be able to be honest about their mess. Mm-hmm. So for me, I had an affair with a coworker. And I'm very honest about that in my book. Like I am, I'm very honest with that. And I, I just knew I was broken. Mm -hmm. Like I knew that decision for me, it just made me realize like there's something that's really not right. Because it wasn't, it wasn't actually about the relationship, was it? No, it wasn't. And, you know, I spent all my time at work. Mm -hmm. Like I think about that now too, cultivating a relationship with my family and continuing to cultivate a relationship with my husband was really difficult because I was married to my work. And, you know, I made that decision. Um, Mm -hmm. I willingly sacrificed myself to the 60 hour work week. And I found myself in complete and total crisis. And that was the signal for me. I remember very vividly Rosanna, and I talk about this in my book, um, the moment where I realized something needed to change. So I was sitting in a translucent glass office with my manager and the words exited her mouth. I know you've been having an inappropriate relationship with someone at work. And that moment for me was a bottom moment. It's just that bottom moment And I still remember like grasping the bottom of my chair. And I remember thinking in my head, I could just lie my way out of this. Mm -hmm. I I mean, my life up until that point had been a series, especially that past six months have been a series of lies and manipulation. And for whatever reason, I feel like the universe called me in that moment to just accept the truth of my story. And I was just honest, probably for the first time in six months with myself and with the people around me. Was that a relief? It was. And that was the weirdest thing for me. Like I remember in that moment, after I was honest, it was like, well, that that's the worst part about me. Like that's the worst thing. And now someone knows. Mm Mm-hmm. And I almost felt just a total, it's just like a sigh of relief, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's always interesting to me, no matter what it is, and I've had a few of my own situations where you hold something in for so long because you think that you have to, and that's what makes you strong or, or like you're, you've got it all together. And then when you release it, there's just this like palpable sigh. 
And it's like, all right, if, if I can say that, if I can utter these words that I had so much shame and so much secrecy tied up into, and I could still be standing, I'm okay now. Yeah, it's almost like there's power. There's so much power in owning our stories mm-hmm. because then they don't have power over us anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I remember leading up to that point, that story controlled my life. Like every, every moment I was fearful of someone finding out that was my life. Any meeting my boss would say, Hey, I need to talk to you for 15 minutes. I thought this is the moment. Yes. You know, like the anxiety of living a life of secrecy is way worse than living a life of truth. Mm -hmm. Do you mind? And I I didn't foresee going there with with this this conversation, but I really do you mind talking about what led to the affair, like mentally, not not the but like how you got to that point, because I think that a lot of people make this assumption that it's one big thing as opposed to a lot of small decisions. Mm -hmm. I think that is, I think people do have that assumption, right? But ultimately it's like anything in our lives. We make one small decision and then we make another small decision. And the example I like to use is, you know, you start by there's attraction, right? And Mm -hmm. and it's normal for us to be attracted to other people, even when we're married, right? That's a normal That's a normal thing, but we don't act on it, right? It's the, I recognize this is there, but I'm not going to make the choice to indulge in it. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was, there was the attraction and then there's the, we're spending a lot of time together, Mm -hmm. right? We're working together. um, There are team happy hours. There are late nights at the office and it just started to snowball, Mm -hmm. right? First it was conversation that we shouldn't have been talking about. And then that conversation eventually moves to confession of attraction. Mm -hmm. And then it moves to, it it just snowballs. Um, And I think what we don't realize, I think sometimes we think affairs or decisions that we make are these passionate moments, but really they're just small, little tiny decisions that just go in the wrong direction. And Mm -hmm. in those moments, It doesn't feel like this huge betrayal. Mm -mm. No, it really doesn't. Mm -mm. But each time you up the ante to the point where you're almost numb of what's really going on. I think we do. We do that a lot in our lives. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, with everything, it's like, and I, I always go back to weight and food because that's something that's always been top of mind for me, but you don't gain weight from that one piece of cake you have. You have oh. it from all those bites you take when you're not hungry, but you're eating because you don't want to feel what you're feeling. Yes. Or you're avoiding doing something that you know you need to do. Whatever. All the ways that you use food. And sometimes it's little small ones, but they all compound until you're sitting there and your pants don't fit. And you're, how do I get here? Yes. And that's what's so crazy about it. I mean, alcoholics talk about it too. They didn't start drinking a 24 pack of beer a day. Oh. Right. Like that's not something we start out doing. First, it's one drink a night, and then it's one drink a night um, on the weekdays, and then it eventually becomes in the morning. Like, it's not Mm -hmm. these little tiny choices. In the moment, they don't feel big. Mm -hmm. But once they compound up, like you said, you're sitting in your pants and you're like, oh, gosh, my pants don't fit. Or, 
oh my gosh, look, I'm having an affair. Now, when, when your manager said that, I mean, had you already started to kind of think, had you started to second guess whether you wanted to be in the situation and this was kind of a relief or was that the impetus to second guess it? You know, in the moment, it's hard to go back there, but in the moment, I think the universe met me there. Like, I think it just said like, this is your time to just own your truth. And I I don't think that I second guessed rehearsing the lines that I had practiced because believe you me, I had practiced the lines. Really? Like I saw this coming. Um, I saw this coming. Mm-hmm. I knew that she was going to find out eventually. And there was no way to just contain it. But I had rehearsed all the lines of like denial. But in that moment, I just chose truth. Mm-hmm. It's one of the best choices I ever made. I was just going to say, and it, it, re- it releases you freeze you. And I know that people think that's so cheesy. Oh, the truth will set you free. No, no, it really, it really does. does. <laughs> <laughs> you can't really I move past until you do. Yes. You're so right. So then what happened then? So, you know, obviously my husband knew before my manager knew. Oh, he did? Yeah, he did. I mean, I came, we, we had started to work through it. Okay. And but you know what we realized, like we made the decision that I couldn't, I couldn't stay. Like I couldn't stay at work. It wasn't, Mm-mm. it wasn't the right fit for me anymore. And, you know, I had, there was a lot of healing that I needed to really work through and that my family needed to work through to get back to a place where we were healthy as mm-hmm. a unit. And so I remember one night my husband having this conversation with me and it was like that high school counselor, annoying conversation where he's like, what do you want to do with your life, Liesl? And I remember just being kind of like, dude, this is not helpful. Like, like all right, Dr. Phil. No, like, I just, I'm like, we have two children. Like we have a house, we have responsibilities. Like I don't have the, what do you want to do with your life conversation? Oh, can we just pause for that? Because how often do, do we, especially women, like, I don't have time to think about dreams or passions. Like I've got to make the world work. I've got to make everything happen for everybody else. I don't have time for that. And why do we do that to ourselves? Like, I don't, it's like, we don't allow ourselves to imagine anymore. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Somewhere along the line, we started encouraging everybody else to imagine and figuring out how we could help them get what they want. And we stopped doing it for ourselves. Uh, That's good, Rosanna. I love that. Um, I think too, it's like we're allowed to imagine in a certain time period in our lives. Mm -hmm. More Mm -hmm. kids were allowed to imagine what do I want to be when I grow up? Mm -hmm. That's an okay question. But then when you say what you want to be and it's pushed back on, you learn really early, like, oh, I'm actually only allowed to be certain things. That's even better that you just said that because you're right. Because when it's not something practical, it's like, well, maybe you want to go to school for theater, but you want to have a solid backup plan because most people don't make it as an actor or an actress or, you know, it's always the, 
Make sure you have a contingency plan if you want to do something where you're not going to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember, oh, very early on telling people with so much pride, I'm going to be a designer. I wanted to be a clothing designer. And my mom corrected me. She goes, no, she doesn't. She wants to be, she wants to be a doctor. She's going to be a doctor. And I was like, I don't think that's what I want. And listen, <laughs> it's not even that I want to be a designer, but I remember understanding at some point why she wanted me. And I still remember the conversations. Even my dad was saying, you know, well, oh, designer, like, uh, does that really do enough for people? Is that bring enough value? And again, I'm not knocking my parents, but I think we all do that. Oh, we do. And we do it in our own lives. It's like, we become that voice and we say to ourselves, we, we can't suspend outside of our current reality. We don't have the ability to look outside of all of the obligations and the practicality. Yes. And obviously there are some things that we have to do. Like we have to pay the bills. I get it. We have to do the things. But have you ever just stopped and imagined that maybe something that you're passionate about could also pay those bills? Oh, I had this you know? exact conversation with a previous guest of the, ep- of the episode, actually, when I was on his podcast and it, I just, I just got to a point where I stopped believing that I couldn't pursue a passion and not actually make a living doing it. And I don't know the how, but gosh, if, I mean, if I had to go another day thinking about, well, one day I'm going to start a podcast and it was like, well, I think today is as good as any day. And here you are. Here are you getting to talk to you. That's cool. I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad that you stopped and just said, what if? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us as women need to sometimes just stop. Yes. And ask ourselves that question. What if? What if I can imagine again? What if I give myself permission to feel passionate about something? Yes. Oh. So going back to when your husband asked that question, yes. <laughs> what, what happened? I mean, besides rolling your eyes at him, did you in that moment start to ask the question or, or did it, you have to kind of have some time to yourself? I actually had to have time to myself. So I remember, well, I got annoyed with him. I was like, I just need strategies. Like, I don't need you to ask me this pie in the sky question. It's a like, corporate response ever. It is. I don't need a dream. I need a strategy. Like, I just need a strategy. Just give me some steps. <laughs> Story of my life. And so <laughs> I went upstairs and I remember my two dogs following me. And at this point we were sleeping in separate bedrooms. So I went upstairs, took the dogs grabbed my glass of wine is like my signal of like, we're done here. <laughs> That's universal. That's yeah. universal language right there. We're done here. Mm-hmm. And went upstairs, slept, woke up the next morning. And for whatever reason in the morning, for me, my ego is, I don't know. There's something about the morning that it allows me to just let go of everything that's expected of me. I don't know why. It's just mm-hmm. a good time for me. So I woke up and I was like, well, what if, what if, what if I used my love of hospitality to open an inn? Had you ever thought of that before? Like, was that something that harkened back to childhood or? 
It didn't harken back to childhood. Now writing a book did that harken back to childhood. Okay. I would say the end for me was more when I was in college. Oh. Like I just started to think about what if I, I have a gift for hospitality. I have a gift for healing, listening to people. And so hospitality has just always been very aligned with just my natural gifts. So I remember going downstairs and my husband was like, not in the mood to talk. And I think he was afraid I was going to like continue the fight from the night before. Mm. And I just said, you know what? You're, you're right. That question was right. I was wrong to get upset at you. And like, you know, I've been thinking, what would it be like to own an inn? I don't know. And he actually went the very next day, Rosanna, and he found a listing for a single family home located in downtown Lee Summit that would make the perfect inn. And he took the initiative to schedule the appointment with the realtor. Really? Yes. Even after I had been, that's real love, right? Like, I mean, I had, I had betrayed him. I had been not a great wife. My actions just in that past six months were not choosing him and he still chose me. And we showed up, um, you know, for that appointment and we just knew it was the next part of our story that it was meant for us. I'm going to ask a question that might seem odd. (laughs) So, and I think it's amazing that, that, like you said, you know, after not choosing him and, and not, you know, reciprocating, he still chose you, but was there ever a point during the affair after the affair where you questioned whether or not you wanted to choose him? Yes. Okay. And you know what? He showed me what real love was. I mean, he really did. He modeled that for me. Um, And I fell in love with him again, but I knew that I was going to have to choose him. And I knew that I had a lot of work to do. And I remember saying to him in therapy, I was like, you know what, honey, I don't know if when we're all done with this therapy, like I'm, I'm going to uncover who I really am. And Mm -hmm. I'm afraid that that person might not love you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Because that's so honest and so true. And I think it's something that vast majority of people are too terrified to admit. I think they are. And, and I did say to him, I was like, I'm okay if you want to end this now, knowing that. And that he does have a right to do that. Yeah. Say, I like, said, you I, have, if you're not gung ho about me and you don't know now, then no. And he said to me, he's like, I feel like I've always known the real you. He's like, I've just been trying to help you unlock who that person is. Ooh. So, yeah. Well, there's, I, but I think there's a key right there. He, he wasn't falling in love with a version of you. Right. He saw that who you really were from the get go, as opposed to people who fall in love with images of each other. And then when you get into therapy and you're like, oh my God, you're not the person that I, he already knew who you were as a person. Yes, He's like, you're going to figure yourself out in therapy, but I know who you are. Yes. That's why. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Because I I mean, 
he knew he was like, I know you. He's like, I know you don't know yourself and you're figuring out who that is. But he's like, I see all the parts and I know where this is going to end. And I'm like, okay, but just know at any given point in time, we both have the choice to say, Mm -hmm. this is not going to work. And I feel like that is so important in marriage and in in long-term relationships in general. I think we have this idea, Rosanna, that like, oh, I just did it, Rosanna. Did you see? <laughs> Sorry, Rosanna. No, but thank you for catching it. That's so sweet. Yes. I appreciate that. Yes, it rolls off the tongue, Rosanna. It does. <laughs> it does. Um, so I think what's important in relationships is that we don't take people for granted. We don't just assume mm-hmm. they're going to stick around and be there. I think it's important to constantly say, you know, you have the choice in this relationship to leave and so do I. And neither of us should sacrifice ourselves for the other person. Nope. So how are we this year going to grow together? How are we going to grow separately? And I feel like if we would give each other permission to leave more often, you know, marriage feels like it's like, oh, you till death do us part. Mm hmm. But really, it should be every year we are growing together, we're making decisions together, we are choosing each other. Yes. But you are not bound to me. Right. You know, I don't know. It's still an active choice. Yes. Yes. And and here's the thing, I will never forget. So one of my favorite things that I used to ask, which is maybe why it was a sign that I should have had a podcast and not been an outside sales. But one of my favorite things that I would ask when I would get to know people out and about um, for work was like, you know, how'd you meet your spouse? And if they'd been married for any length of time, like how, what happened? What, what does, what, what makes this happen? And I will never forget this one couple I met and they had been married. Oh God, for probably 30 years. And it was this precious love story of how, um, she knew as soon as she met him that that was her husband, but she was, and she, I love that. She was like, I still didn't let him get any. She was like, I still let him work for it because you know what? It's good for him. And I was like, all right, mama, I hear you. She, it was great. It was just this amazing story and like how she made him court her, even though she knew, she knew from day one, that was her husband. She was like, no, no, he needed to work for it because he'd had things come to him too easily. And I just adored them. Now, fast forward. A year later, I go back and this was, it was actually a fraternal order of Eagles. I don't know if you ever, it's a, it's a, an associate. I have, yes, yes. So they were both, he was a board member. So that's how I'd met him. And she was there with him and I go back and I see him and I forget, I forget their names now. Thank goodness. But I, I said, Hey, where's so-and-so where's your wife? Cause she was always next to him. And he was like, well, it's been a, uh, and I, I thought, oh my God, did she pass? And he goes, no. And he was like, we're divorced. And I said, I'm sorry, what? And he said, yeah. He's like, she'll be here soon. She It's probably better she tells you. And so she comes in and I'm like in near tears, like, no, no, no. How did this amazing love story end in a divorce when you guys have been together for 30 some years? And she comes in and she tells me basically what happened was she was diagnosed with cancer. And something went horribly wrong in one of her surgeries. She was bedridden, had to completely rely on him. He didn't know how to handle it. And he started having an affair. Oh, wow. Because it had always been in their roles. It had always been that she was the support. 
she was the one that he leaned on and he didn't know how to reciprocate it. And she told me, she was like, listen, I know he loves me. I know he just made a mistake, but at some point I don't have to take it. And I have been there for him for so long. I'm going to go out and I'm going to enjoy myself now. And I thought, amen. But it was just that perspective of just because you're meant to be, just because you you love each other does not mean that you don't have to keep choosing each other. So true. And choosing each other looks so different at different points in your life, right? I mean, I think there's a reason why love stories end it happily ever after. Because mm-hmm. that's the fun part, right? That's yes. the courting, that's the infatuation, that's the imagination. And, and it is great. That's a great phase. And like you said, someone can be meant for you, mm-hmm. but you still have to work for each other and you have mm-hmm. to choose each other. And like you said, that looks different every, every single season of your life that you're in. Yes. Not even every year, every season. Yes. <laughs> That's if nobody gets anything else from this episode, <laughs> I hope that they That's go back and they, they look at their get. spouse or their significant other and be like, oh, what can I do to choose you this? Or do I want to choose you? You know, that might also yeah. be a question they have to ask. Absolutely. But I think it's a, it's definitely an important one. Mm-hmm. So, so you went straight from corporate world to opening it in. What? Okay. I have to ask. How does one even open an inn? What does this entail? Because this, oh, I, you know how I know it's not for me is when you said, when I read that, I was like, oh God, oh, that sounds awful. That, that's, a, that's a lot of work. <laughs> oh, oh Rosanna, I had no idea what I was doing. You know, one of the things <laughs> that's so Which great. Which probably a good thing. <laughs> it was a good thing. You know, one of the things about my personality that I love, but also recognize that I have to reel myself in a lot is I get really excited about a vision for something. Mm. And I'm a dreamer. I have the ability to create a vivid description of future state, but I really struggle with like all of the operational pieces that are going to get me there. So it makes me a fantastic entrepreneur because I'm just like, let's do it. We're going to make this thing happen. And so I take the leap when a lot of people don't. So I think I'm kind of a mutant that way. I think entrepreneurs in a lot of ways are kind of mutants that way. And I jump into things and then it's like, it hits the fan. Mm -hmm. I start to realize, oh my gosh, there's all these licenses oh my gosh, there's all these regulations. Um, and so, oh, yeah, I think I didn't even think of the paperwork. Oh my gosh. It's crazy. I mean, and obviously you want to feel safe in a hotel you're in. So it's good that there are all those requirements in place, (laughs) but you know, I made this aggressive goal when we opened. So we closed in October on the house, October, 2016. And then we were going to open at the end of November. The same year? I, yeah, the same year. You hush your face. You're kidding. You gave yourself a month? And the worst part is, is I have literally already accepted guests. <laughs> so there wasn't like a turning back, Rosanna. Like I... <laughs> that's amazing. You're right. You were definitely meant to be an entrepreneur because that is that is some radical faith. So we, I mean, it was all hands on deck, the family, friends. I mean, I, we were up till 
early mornings, like just furnishing the place, yeah. I mean, decorating it, getting all the decor that we needed. I mean, it was crazy. All the licenses, working with the city. So, I mean, we did it. But I don't really remember that month very well. So you may not want to ask about it. <laughs> That's amazing. And they weren't, Rosanna, it wasn't like a regular guest that I accepted. It was a bridal party. So it wasn't even like someone I could cancel on. You know, there were a few nights where I was like, gosh, could I just like email them and say, let's schedule you for another date? No. Right. No, that's not an this option. This is her wedding. You don't, you don't do anything 50%. No, I don't. That's amazing. I really don't. But can I also, can, so I said, I was kind of half joking when I said, nope, not for me. Cause that sounds awful. You know what it is? It's the hospitality. Like I do not have that gene. And I didn't realize how much I didn't have it until one time. This is awful. My, well, it's not awful, but I was going on like a mini mission trip with some women from my church. And okay. my, pastor was coming to stay with me the night before was it the night before I don't remember why she was staying with me I don't I don't remember the details of this but I know she came over to my house I was hosting my pastor before this mini mission trip I it didn't occur to me to get food for her I had a half-eaten pizza that I'd had for dinner couldn't be more only child of myself (laughs) than I was And she came over and I remember thinking, oh, she might be hungry. I was like, hey, you want some pizza? (laughs) Didn't have, I had tap water for nothing. It was just, it just didn't even occur to me. And I got, oh gosh, that wasn't very nice. Then we go to Baton Rouge because we, it was, um, we're doing like cleanup after the tornadoes. This was a few years ago. The woman who hosted us, however, was created in God to be an amazing, like to do hospitality. Like she had water that had lemons and cucumbers in it she had snacks and I was like oh my and I went to my pastor I said I'm so sorry I didn't know this is what you're <laughs> supposed to do I had no idea this is what and I when I'm looking she had like a little chalkboard that said welcome I wanted to cry I wanted to, I was like this is awful I can't believe I have negative hospitality genes and that's didn't okay because I do feel like so many things they're just gifts that we all have right and that we're just we're meant to share with the world and they're just different for all of us. And it takes all types to make the world go round. But I do love the, the pizza and the tap water. That's really incredible, Rosanna. And, you know, that might have just been your moment to be like hospitality, maybe just not my gift. And that's OK. Well, I had six different types of liquor I could have given her, but I didn't know <laughs> she wanted that. So I thought the tap water was the safest thing to offer. Which okay, is Oh, like, my gosh, the liquor part's amazing. <laughs> I, had, I had liquor aplenty. But nothing besides tap water. And nothing besides the tap water. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of our lives at different <laughs> points. So what ended up happening I mean, with this bridal party? Was it, I mean, did it go off without a hitch or? It did, oh. but it was very stressful. And you know what, Rosanna, I was so fortunate because she was just one of those really gracious brides. Oh, like, I mean, right she, Yeah, she was not a bridezilla because she oh booked God. the place before she even saw it. Wow. Which I feel like takes a lot of faith. I mean, she saw the outside of the property, but she definitely didn't see the inside of it. And so she was graceful and kind and like, she just loved the place. I mean, you know, it looked great, but at the same time, it was 
it was a rush to put it all together, but it ended up working out. And I had the right personality for that because she had a lot of grace for me, which was good. That's so amazing. I love that. Okay. So now you have the end going. When did you Mm -hmm. decide to write the book? So that started when I was a little girl. I have always been a word artist. That's what I like to call myself. It just sounds fancier. It sounds fancier than a writer. I just love the spoken word. I love writing. Like as a little girl, I used to just sit and write poetry. I used to write like short stories. Oh, in Word Perfect 97, if that date, no, it was like 91, not even 97, if that dates me. Why does this sound familiar? So it's a DOS based (laughs) computer program. Oh, it was like. I would describe it as like the Microsoft Word of DOS. There you go. Oh, okay. <gasps> I don't remember that. That's what we used before we had Microsoft Word, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Everyone used Word Perfect. And like, I remember printing it out on, do you remember the printers that had like the perforated edges on the side? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like print it out on this like green and white paper. And then I'd like tear off the edges and I'd go outside and I would read it, read my writing to my mom when she would be in the garden in the summer. I just loved. So anyway, for a very long time, I've been a writer and my, my dad has always said to me, you need to write a book at some point in your Mm -hmm. life. Like, I don't know when it is, but whenever it is, you need to write a book. And I actually started writing a manuscript that was totally different than the one that ended up being released. Really? I did not want to share this story out loud. And every time I started writing the other manuscript, this story would emerge in my heart. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard when you're like, you know, 20,000 words into another manuscript and for the universe to just call you and just say, you're not writing about the right thing. And that was hard because I was like, well, I could just finish this first book and like, maybe it's not the book I'm supposed to write, but I'm 20,000 words in, like I might as well just get it into the world. Um, But something just, there was something inside of me that just said, this isn't it. When did you surrender to that? Gosh, you know what, Razan? I'm not, I feel like it was the summer, last summer, probably. Not pandemic summer or? Not pandemic summer. Gosh, that doesn't even count. Yeah, that year, this year. (laughs) I love the look you made. Not pandemic summer. So would that be summer of 2018? 2019. 19, Mm -hmm. yes. Time is all, it's so weird right now for me and everyone I know. 2019 was two years ago and 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yes, 100%. (laughs) So then, so, okay, now I I have to ask this because I at some point want to write a book as well. But when you are talking about something so vulnerable, and that you know opens you up to so much judgment, not just you, your family. Yes. How do you reconcile? Like, because I, I honestly think writing a book and then publishing it is the most courageous thing you could do. 
because you honestly, you could have done your happily ever after. That was a part of our story. Now we have an in and yay, life is good. And it's, you know, Rosanna, it's, it's hard being vulnerable. It's hard exposing yourself. And like you said, there are going to be people who don't resonate with my message. There are going to be people who judge me, but ultimately I remember coming to my husband. Cause I'm like, here's one thing that I have a rule about. I have a lot of people in my life that I love and that I care about. And I always run my writing by them, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's their story too. It's not just my story. Mm-hmm. I don't have the right to share someone else's story if that's not what they want as well. Okay. So before I wrote it, I just, I remember talking to my husband Harlan and I just said, you know, I'm feeling really called to this, but I know that that's very vulnerable for our family. And I want to know, like, are you, are you even okay with me writing this story? And I said, at, at the end of the day, if you say no, then it doesn't, I, I will have no hard feelings. Was I there won't. a part of you that hoped he did say no? Yeah, sort of. Because <laughs> that would have been my out. Right? That's such a good <laughs> out. Like, I would have been like, know? my husband doesn't feel comfortable with me sharing this crisis in my life. Um, but no, he, he took a day or two to think about it. Mm. And I said, you know, sit on it. Like, don't. And I remember him saying to me, if this helps other people, then I'm okay with it. Mm -hmm. And we talked about, you know, my, even our children, like I, you know, I've had to have hard conversations. Um, I had to have a hard conversation with my mom and dad. Like, don't want them finding out in a book that I had an affair. Right. I mean, before you written it, did they know about that? No. Oh, okay. You have got to tell me how this conversation went. Well, you don't have to tell me, but no, I'm I'm happy to tell you, um, because we've already had this conversation and I know that they would be okay with me sharing it. Um, but I basically said to my dad, this, this literally happened like a month ago. I just said, Hey, there's some things in my book that I need to talk to you and mom about, because I don't feel like it's right for you to hear about what I'm going to share in a book. You need to hear it from me. So I was so nervous, Rosanna. I was so nervous of how they were going to respond. Um, they love Harlan. They love our family. They're very supportive of us. And I, I basically set up a call with them. And I just said, we have to talk. And the whole day, I just had knots in my stomach. Oh, like I was just anxious. I was like, what are they going to think about me? Are they going to be upset? Like all these things. And so I finally, I get on the phone with them and I get it out. I just ripped off the bandaid mm-hmm. and it was hard. And they were so gracious. Really? Yeah. The first thing they asked was, okay, well, how are you in Harlan now? And I said, well, we're great now. Like we've been to therapy. We've worked through a lot of things. We're doing really well. And they were like, Okay if you have both agreed and decided in your relationship that you are comfortable with sharing this story, we are a hundred percent behind you. And my mom even said, similar to what Harlan said, I think you're going to help a lot of people mm-hmm. who have gone through something like this. Yes, And that is admirable. 
Mm-hmm. It could not have gone any better. I had like prepared, I had psyched myself up for the worst. Like as a, I was so afraid. Um, but that was a major, that was a major conversation. Do you think it would have gone differently if you'd had the conversation? Like if you had told them in the midst of it or before you two had gone through the therapy and were kind of on the other side of it as, as it is. Yes. I think it would have been different because I wasn't in a place where I could say yes to my family and yes to Harlan in the, in the current state that it existed in, right. Mm -hmm. The current structure of our family. And I think that it was the right time to tell them. Mm -hmm. I really do. I think that, that that was aligned just the right way. And my sister kept the secret the whole time, might I add, which is pretty impressive. She knew. She knew. Wow. That's loyalty. Yeah, it's, it's definitely loyalty. She, she kept that secret for me for over four years. Wow. I have to say, and, and you know this, but I cannot echo it enough that it is so, so important for people to hear your story. Because it is so much more common than people want to admit. <laughs> I think it is. It really is. I will, it is. And, and here's the thing. Even if, even if it doesn't culminate in having an affair, that distance in a relationship is also universal. Yes. Like, at some point, whether it's, the, the, the affair is the smoke to the fire right? Yeah. It, it, there was something, a disconnect, like somewhere where the communication had broken down or you needed something different. And it wasn't about him. It wasn't at all. Never- and I agree with you. I mean, I love what you're saying. How often are we in relationships, partnerships, relationships, where we don't actually see the people anymore? Mm-hmm even in friendships, long-term friendships, you know, I mean, sometimes we just get in autopilot mode, like we're comfortable with our people and we go through the routines, we do the day-to-day things, we cook dinner, we, whatever it is. And we don't just stop and look at the people that we love. Mm -hmm. And we can't do it every day, but it's still important that we have days where we're like, I see you. I also think it's important to do what you did and to give yourself permission to make a choice. And just because somebody has been in your life to a certain point does not mean you have to continue to choose them. Even if they choose you. And I th- I see that a lot. And I've, I've definitely gone through that with friendships where it gets to a point where it's like, we are in this friendship because I play a very specific role. And if I decide to set boundaries, you're not going to like it. And this is, this friendship will not continue in the way that it is, but I had to choose myself. How often do we, sometimes it's like we're loyal just for the sake of being loyal. Oh, oh yeah. You know, it's like someone's been in our lives for so long, but maybe a lot of their behaviors recently have been really toxic Mm -hmm. or 
you know, there's just been a series of events that have shown us that that person is no longer a fit for where we are in our current state lives. And yet, like, why aren't we okay with sometimes just saying that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's not personal. You're at a different place in your life. I'm in a different place in mine. We have both grown and evolved to something different and our, our energies no longer align. Mm -mm. It doesn't have to be ugly. You know, I, I don't know. I think I just don't hold on to anything anymore as being permanent. Mm -hmm. God, there'd be so much that we could shift in how we see things and how we move if, if we could allow ourselves that and allow ourselves to change our minds. I love what you just said. Allow yourself the ability to change your mind. I mean, crisis for me was clarifying. There are friends that, that didn't make it through that crisis and that's okay. There are people who walked out on me and wanted nothing to do with me. And that's, that was their choice. Mm -hmm. But there are people who weathered that storm with me and they were like, we are going to sit with you inside your pain and we're going to bring you some ice cream while we're doing it. Mm -hmm. And those people are seriously the truest loves of my life. Like they, I mean, those people who sit with you when you are at your bottom, like they're just, they're the best. I have um, a friend, a, a friend that I've had since middle school and um I had revealed something in one of the, one of my podcasts. I didn't name her or the family member, but I'd revealed something. And she reached out and said, you know, I knew you would bring it up at some point. And I'm sorry. And, and it was something to do with race. And I told her, I said, that was the best gift that could have happened because it taught me that somebody could love me and still say something not politically correct. Like, especially now, it's very easy to say, well, somebody who says something like that is never somebody I could associate with. Well, I'm sorry, but I grew up in South Carolina. If I said that, if I had that mentality, a lot of the people that I love very much and have supported me through some of the toughest parts of my life, whether they knew it or not, would not be in my life. And I just, I don't have that luxury. I don't have the luxury of saying, if you don't say the right thing all the time, then I can't be your friend. And it just, Every time, and also I've learned the hard way. Anytime I've ever, ever, ever said, I could never, I do it. And I prove myself right? wrong. So now I don't isn't even that, say it. I'm like, I can see how that, that could happen. so true though? Like, it's so true. I could never do that. Mm -hmm. I could, I could never be that way. Mm -hmm. Never is... Yeah. That's a dangerous word. It is a dangerous word. And I also loved what you said about your ability to understand that someone can love you and still say something hurtful. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that, you know, the true friends, it's like you can come to them with that hurtful thing and say, Hey, when you said this, like, here's how I felt, here's where I'm coming from. And you can have that moment of connection together where you're like, oh gosh, mm -hmm. Rosanna, I didn't mean to hurt you. I, do. I didn't even think about that coming across that way. And, and I can see your point of view and I will, I will never say that again. Like I will check myself, you know, but that's when that's true friendship, right? Being mm -hmm. able to encounter those difficult things that are uncomfortable 
but we're willing to like bring them to the surface and work through them. Well, and I think that's actually what changes, like makes mass change. It is not in these big sweeping uh, declarations that people want to make or in, and sorry, this is my little pet peeve or in no, like I love it. these little PR friendly statements that companies want to make. That is not what affects change. It is the conversations that happen between people who love and respect each other, but don't see eye to eye, see eye to eye and take the time to understand. Okay, girl, you and I are on the same soapbox here because, you know, here's the thing. And I know that there's been a lot of awareness around diversity recently and having hard conversations. And I appreciate that. Yes. But at the same time, here's where the rubber meets the road. And I mm-hmm. oftentimes think about, for me, it's the ability to get uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's to hear somebody's point of view and say, you know what? I don't understand that, but I can see where you're coming from. I can see that when you look at my website that you don't feel represented mm. as a bride. Oh. And you know what? Everybody just wants to be represented. Yes. <laughs> just wants to feel they want to go on the freaking athleta website and feel or anywhere we buy clothes or whatever and feel like they can see themselves in those clothes. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish if we would just have that conversation of I don't know. It's, it's the ability to get uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But you know what? You hit on something that, again, that's what it really boils down to. Like everybody wants to be represented. I don't care who you are, where you're from, what language you speak, what language your parents speak, what religion, everybody that resonates with everyone. You really mean to tell me that you don't feel drawn to other people that you think have experienced something similar. Huh? And it's like, that's such a logical thing. Like, I remember one of my black friends saying to me, she said, we were talking about Hallmark movies. Oh, like just the love stories, right? And she's like, Mm -hmm. I just don't feel represented. Like, it doesn't feel like black love matters. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to sit in that for a minute. And I'm going to, I'm going to get inside your head and think about what that feels like. Cause I don't know what that feels like. Right. Like I can turn on a movie and I'm represented. But you know what, if I turned on a movie and every single movie that I watched, I didn't feel like my love was represented. Like, yeah, like that's a no brainer to me. Like, how can we be more inclusive? How can we make people feel like they belong and that they can see themselves somewhere? I don't know. It feels simple to me. I'm probably making it way more oh, simple no, 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 than no, what no. it is, but I feel like that's it just right. requires some freaking empathy. Let's just like have some empathy. And know that my perspective is not the only perspective in this world. And that ultimately there are women and men of all different races and nationalities and experiences and all the things that I want to learn from them. I don't know. Can I tell you? No, you, so you just blew the, my secret mission for this podcast. The reason it was so important for me to start a podcast and why it didn't occur to me to use video at, at all at first was because given my personal life experiences and the way that I've kind of flown under the radar in a lot of different ethnic situations, it allowed me to see that people are so much more similar than they realize, but they get so hung up on what, how different they are physically. And the beauty of the medium of a podcast is you can't see the person 
that you, whose story you're hearing, and you have to connect with their story and then go look as an afterthought at what they look like. And I knew that if I just told enough stories, enough people would connect with enough other people that don't look anything like them that they would think, oh, well, maybe the next time I see somebody like that on the street, I'm not going to default to the assumption that we have nothing in common. Because here's the thing that I love about what you just said. We all connect over story. Our brains are hardwired for story. And we can connect with people, like you said, doesn't matter what they look like, Mm -hmm. over story. And we are more alike than we are different. Oh, so much more. (laughs) No? Much more. Sometimes it feels like we try so hard to find all the differences. And it's so much easier to find all the commonalities if we would just allow it. Just allow it. And if we just allow ourselves the ability to just feel uncomfortable sometimes. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's so critical when we're having these conversations where it's like, don't feel shame. Mm-mm. Feel enlightened to a different way of thinking. I didn't think about how my actions or my website or whatever it is made other people feel. Because n- most hard. of us don't, right? <laughs> Who, prior to 2021, I don't know that anybody really thought of it that way. It's like you just, you're, whatever you create is a reflection of what you see in your life. Yes. And it's so easy to say, well, that's not right. Well, don't, we all kind of do that. We all do it for sure. So just like we create from our perspective and that's why collaboration is so freaking beautiful because somebody else's voice gives you the opportunity to look at something from an entirely different angle. I didn't see it that way. Thanks for that perspective. Thanks for helping me see things from a different way. And here's the beautiful thing about perspective. Everyone has, they all see the world through their own lens. Everyone sees the world through their own lens Mm -hmm. and their perspective is not wrong. And it doesn't negate your perspective. And I think that's what's so hard sometimes when we have these difficult conversations is it's like, just because someone sees something differently doesn't mean that your perspective is threatened. Mm-mm. Both of these perspectives can coexist at the same time. And in fact, they can challenge each other yes. and help you see things differently. I don't know. No, I love I that. My, so my therapist and I, especially when we were, I, I had to go, I'm very open about the fact that I go to therapist, but I love therapy It's in the, best. in the midst of the pandemic, in the midst of all the racial tensions, I had to start going more often because I just had to have somewhere where I could just brain dump and not have to worry about judgment. And something that he had said before, when we had talked about past family issues came right back again, it's the and not the, or both perspectives can be true. Yes. And it does not mean one is right or one is wrong. It just can be that is your perspective and this is mine. And if we just focused more on the and versus the or, mm-hmm. we could, I just not to sound cheesy, but we could solve the world's problems. No, we could. And how, how beautiful is it for somebody else's perspective to change yours? And being open to that. Mm-hmm. Like there are so many truths that I accepted when I was 20 years old that at 30 years old 
and now 40 have changed. And that's actually beautiful because I'm like this evolving person. (laughs) Every day I morph more into the next thing that I'm becoming. And like, I think that's actually beautiful. I don't know. I 100% agree. And here's the thing in that if, if we all chose to see ourselves as evolving beings, then it also means that when people made mistakes when they were younger, we have to show a little bit more grace because you weren't expected to know everything. And I will say, I'm just going to go there. This is going long, but this, and I was just talking with a good friend of mine about this over the weekend because I was telling her an idea I have to do for a different series for the podcast. And um, we were talking about the whole, I don't know if you heard about the whole bachelor kerfuffle where um, I guess a, a couple or one of the bachelorettes or one of the contestants went to an antebellum party years ago. Okay. And when Chris Harrison was talking about it with a black former bachelorette, he was saying like, well, I think we need to like, basically don't jump down her throat. Like she was young. Let's know all the details. And, and people were coming for him. That's racist. I'm like, okay, one, it's not racist to say it was a while ago and we need to wait till she actually makes a statement that that's not racist. But two, I would hate for people to see some of the pictures of parties I've gone to in my early twenties. Girl, and maybe you. I wouldn't have gone to an antebellum, but it's because I'm mixed and I think it's bad. But if I didn't grow up that way, I don't know that I would think anything of it. Right. And you know what? I, I actually feel super fortunate. Like social media did not become a thing until I was in college. And so I am actually really freaking grateful for that. And the reason that I am is because there are just so many parts of my youth that I'm sure I would have tweeted out or put on Facebook, like opinions, thoughts, beliefs in a place where I'm just not mature enough to really know where I stand in life. No, but I also have to, and sorry, but I have to wonder, could we maybe assume that maybe the girl just never thought of what antebellum means for other people and 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 okay fine easy to say oh who doesn't know but listen I remember years ago I was watching have you ever heard of the show four weddings on TLC yes I have so I was watching it with my boyfriend at the time and he's black I'm mixed we're watching it there's three white brides and one black bride and they're all in the south and they're all going to each other's weddings right and there's this one very very sweet girl it's probably Georgia South Carolina and Everything in her wedding has cotton. She loves cotton. Everything is cotton. And I'm kind of sitting there like, I don't know if I want to say this. And we're neither of us are saying anything. And they go to a singular or solo interview with the black bride. And she was like, I don't like all this cotton. And me and my boyfriend looked at me. Oh my God. I was thinking like, it's so, you're like, instinctively, like, this is so awkward. You're on a plantation. Why does there have to be cotton and everything? And there's, she was literally the only black person at this entire wedding. Oh God. I was like, oh man, that's awful. And, but here's the thing. Nobody had ever said anything about like, it never occurred to her. And it's like, I don't think that the girl went into it thinking I'm a racist and I'm like, that's that, that did not come from a racist place. She just thought it was a pretty decoration. Right. Right. And she thought it was a great accessory. And I think most people would think about that, but when you, you know, if your family heritage involved being whipped to make said cotton, then you're going to have a different perspective on it. You right. may not and your, rea- it your reaction is totally warranted. 
Like it's, it is. And it's, but like you said, it's also, this is why these conversations are important, right? Because it's, it's someone sharing their perspective and it's like, oh, I could totally see where you're coming from on that. I didn't even think about it that way. Like, thank you for helping me see this from a different lens and a different perspective. And it helps make me a better person to love other people better, which is what our goal should be anyway, right? Just how can I love this person better? How can I make them feel comfortable? Um, yeah, I love that. That, well, I did not expect to, for the conversation to go towards race, but thank you for being so (laughs) open and lovely. I just love, I've loved talking to you. We can talk forever. I think I, this is, this is what I love about the podcast or these conversations where it's just like, I felt like I made a friend in the last hour. Yeah, absolutely. I feel that way too. And I I love it just being so unscripted because it just naturally kind of flows to different places. It does. Does. Okay. So now you had to let me know where can people connect with you? What? Sure. Absolutely. So my website is lieselhaze.com and Facebook. I am facebook.com slash author. And on Instagram, I am at liesel.haze. Make sure you don't forget the dot. Okay. Okay. Well, and also, so I'm going to link directly to each of those in the show notes, just so you. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. But I still like everybody to hear how you pronounce your name is Liesel, not Leslie, not, I don't know. Not Lizelle, not Lysol. I've gotten that one before too. Oh, Oh, that's (laughs) awful. (laughs) Why people, sometimes they have to try really hard to come up with these. I know. I hope everybody look at how you, how she spells her name, Liesl. It does not look like Lysol at all, <laughs> at all. That's offensive. <laughs> Golly. Also, do you still have, you still have the in, correct? Yes. I still have the in. Yes. So would they go check that out on your website? Absolutely. So our website for the in is the browningls.com. Okay. Ooh. Cause I also want to go check it out. Yes. I would love that. I know you are going to be a much better hostess than I am. So. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was so great to talk to you. Likewise. I had a thought at the end of this episode or after recording this conversation with Liesl, excuse me. And, you know, we talked about some tough things, whether it's relationships, friendships, race. I mean, this conversation covered the gamut. And if there's someone in your life that you want to talk to about one of these topics and you just don't quite know how to open the door, this is your chance. Share this episode. Use us as a way to open that door to that conversation. And if that can help you have a conversation that is long overdue with someone you love, then I podcast has done its mission. So just a thought. And again, Make sure if you have a message or story you want to share that you send it to me at Rosanna at BreakingLabelsPodcast.com and connect with myself on Instagram. So until next time.